If you have your Bibles, would you open up first to Revelation 20, then we're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Revelation 20. Starting in verse 11, we'll go to 15. And then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they have done. And the sea gave up their dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades was thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Would you also turn to Second Corinthians chapter 5? I'm just going to read verse 10. Paul says this. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that... Jesus Christ has fully took your wrath. He has taken our judgment. There is no condemnation. There is no fear because perfect love has cast out all fear, Father God. But we also know, God, that we do, as Christians also, have to stand before Christ on that day to give an account of our life, Father God. That judgment day, Father God, that will be a reward for us, Father God, for faithful diligence in the body of Christ, Father God. So we ask you, Lord God, to breathe upon this teaching today, Lord God, and give us understanding of the white throne judgment, of judgment day, the last judgment, Father God, the last day. Give us insights, Father God, onto what these things mean and how the implication for our personal lives, Father God. We ask you to bless this teaching, God, in Christ's name. Amen. The Last Judgment, or the Final Judgment, as our title says, is a continuation of our doctrinal studies on last things. Uh, What does the Bible say about last things, and how important are they really for us to know? Especially the final judgment of God on sinful humanity. There is a day coming where the Bible says, uh, where God, well, all humanity individually will stand before God and give an account of their life, the things good and the things evil. Uh, and, and based on that, they will find out that they were not saved because a human being is not capable of producing the perfect love and perfect good works that God desires, that God deserves, and that man is required to give. He's not capable because of the sin nature within him. Man thinks more keenly about himself than he ever could do about God. We live in a fallen world where it's impossible to please God. We're led by the flesh. Uh, it's only grace that elevates us above the flesh and the desires of this world to give us a new impetus to live for God. These new affections that grow in us and we start living according to God's will and led by the Spirit of God and things start to change in our life. 
But I ask why? Why study or even teach this doctrine of the last judgment at all? Is it profitable for us? Isn't it all about grace? Isn't it all about forgiveness? Aren't we just going to go to heaven? Shouldn't we just just wait and go home? Why study this uh, kind of very scary doctrine? But let me say first and foremost, it's only scary for those who are not saved. It doesn't scare me one bit. Matter of fact, I rejoice that there is a day of vindication where God will vindicate himself and every wrong will be made right. It doesn't scare me at all. And it doesn't scare me to teach it. Uh, It's God's word that determines, I'll say this again, it's God's word that determines what is taught and what Christians should know. It's God's word that teaches what's best for us. It's not man's personal preferences our personal likes or dislikes or whatever the flavor of the day is. We don't teach what makes men happy. We teach what honors God and what's faithful to God. That's what Christian faithful ministers do and that's what Christians, faithful Christians do. We, we understand the facts. We understand and we apply it to our life. This is, this is so basic in biblical revelation that uh, we teach it with reverence. When it comes to the last judgment, we teach this with the greatest reverence and with the greatest, uh, how can I say, uh, charge to humanity that we have to take this serious. That there is a sort of urgency Every time you hear, whether it's Christ or the prophets of the Old Testament or the apostles of the New Testament, when they're speaking on this, it's not an arbitrary, well, uh, someone asks Paul a question. What? Oh, let me tell you what's going to happen at the end. No, Paul is speaking, Peter is speaking, John is speaking, the risen Christ is speaking in Revelation about the urgency to this doctrine. And we as Christians need to be take this very seriously. It is no light matter. Let me give you an illustration of what Paul was talking about, that we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Christians are given account of their life. Uh, we all know that children respond better to examinations than expectations. Parents know that. Teachers know that. If you were to tell, if parents would tell us a, a child, uh, do me a favor... And make sure you clean your room this week. I expect you to do it. How much you think they're going to do it. But if you tell them, I will be up in an hour. And to examine, tell me, is there a better chance? With a student, if a teacher says, you know something, we're going to have a different kind of teaching year this year in 2015, and I'm going to expect everybody to read these 12 books, and we'll come back in six months, and uh, I expect you to have finished these books and write your reports. No examination is needed. I'm going to leave it to your conscience to do these things. Tell me, how far would children get without examination by elders? That's the big picture. How productive can we possibly be? Humanity is trained. Adults are trained by a constant awareness of examinations. Children need, to, need this to awaken the awareness around them that there are certain consequences to life if they're not careful. If they're not careful. Then as adults, we move into a self-motivating attitude that prevails. That's what we hope. I don't need someone watching over me all the time. It's a self-motivating nature that comes with being a mature man, a mature woman. 
We don't need to be constantly uh, watched over. We take it upon ourselves. So when Paul says that all Christians will stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give give an account of their life, it's a serious matter. We will be examined, thoroughly examined. Each one of us who calls the name of Christ as Savior and who's generally saved will give an account of their life. You will not sit there with the pastor. I will not sit there with the elders. My wife won't be holding my hand. Your parents won't be holding your hand. Mommy won't be holding your hand. You will stand there before the Lord on that day. There will be no fear involved. Let me tell you this right now. There won't be an ounce of fear involved on that day. It should be a glorious thought that we will stand before God one day and give an account of a life that God has graced us with has graced us with ability to live by faith and the gift of the Holy Spirit and to be encouraged by other Christians to pursue a life of holiness and godliness and to use the gifts and talents we have. To me, the thought of standing before Christ is one of the great motivators of my Christian life. I know as a teacher of the Word of God, I have to stand before God, and we'll speak about this as the weeks go uh, on, we'll give a, a greater application to all our lives, both as pastors and as just Christians, well, how this applies to our life. It, our text says a lot about it. We're not going to get it today. It would be more of a, a general understanding of, of judgment. But understand something. Examination goes a long way. And I pray today, when you leave today, you'll understand that over the, today in the next several weeks that there is an examination of our life. And that should motivate us to love and good works of the gifts and the talents that God has given every true believer and how we use them. And remember, it's not what we do. It's why we do anything. That's the good works. It's not what we do. It's why we do it. That is the most important factor when it comes to when we stand before the Lord on that day to give an account of our life. It's a glorious day. Tonight we will, will be just an overview of some of the main themes of the final judgment Saving our full application till the coming weeks, as I just said. But let me go through this. All human beings, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, will be judged at the throne of God. Every, every human being. But the predominant nature of the final judgment, as the New Testament teaches it, and this is important, is the condemnation of the wicked. The condemnation of the wicked. Sinful humanity, that sinful humanity outside of a saving relationship to Jesus Christ. This excludes all people from Cain all the way to the present day. The nations of the world will be judged. As Jesus says, the nation of the world and their attitude towards God's will and towards God's people in it that represent him will be judged. Listen to how Matthew 25 says it, verses 31, 32. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people from one, as a, separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Also, the Christian church will be judged between the false believer and the true believer, as Jesus teaches in the parable of the wheat and the tares in Matthew 13. He says. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Fallen angels will also stand before Christ and be judged, as Jude 6 says. 
Jude 6 teaches, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Satan also will be judged. He's already condemned, and he'll be an outward manifestation, as 1 Timothy 3.6 teaches. A new convert, he must not be a recent convert, or he may be become puffed up with conceit and fall into the same condemnation of the devil. Satan has been condemned. He was condemned at the cross, and he'll be condemned at the white throne judgment. The final judgment, as we read in Revelation 20, is called the second death. Verse 14 says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. According to Scripture, Jesus is delegated judge for this work. He's delegated by the Father to represent the Trinity. As Acts 17.30 says, The times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on when he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. It's interesting, understand something. When humanity stands before Jesus Christ, he's not going to be 30 feet tall. He's not going to wear flowing robes of righteousness. He will be a man, the resurrected man. Most likely 5'6", 5'7", 5'8", maybe. Maybe 130, 150 pounds. But he will be robed in divine authority. I'm going to speak about that in a second. But it will be a man. The human man, Jesus Christ. He will be the judge. And also, Christ has delegated some authority to Christians, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 2, 3. Christians will be part of this judgment. He says this in verse 2 and 3. Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you, not, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more than the matters pertaining to this life? It's hard to believe that we will stand with Christ and actually judge fallen humanity. It's hard to believe that somehow, some way, I can't tell you exactly what it means, but we will stand there and judge fallen angels. I, I don't know. I haven't read a good commentary on it that says this is exactly what we do. They all just bow out in reverence and say somehow the redeemed will stand with Christ on judgment day. The only thing I can come up with is that somehow or another Christians will give the amen to Christ's verdict. Because only Christ knows and can judge properly the hearts of all humanity. The Christian will see the verdict and say amen. Amen. That's the only thing I can see. And those are my thoughts on that. To some extent, the Bible will be part of the evidence in the judgment, as we already read in uh, Revelation 20, that the books will be opened. Hebrews 4 talks about that too. I'll mention that in a moment. According to 2 Corinthians 5.10, as we read, we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due him. For what is done in the body, whether good or evil, he's speaking to believers now. It's, a, it's, it's judicial in nature, and I don't want you to miss this thought. 
We have a picture here where Paul is saying the judgment seat of Christ. Paul was drawn upon uh, uh, the Roman judicial system where there was a platform maybe three or four feet high and on that platform was a throne and that's where the delegates were and that's where the judge was and, uh, and they, they would hear the cases and, and, and bring judgments upon the people and that's what Paul has in mind here and what we have here and it reminds me of being at uh, jury duty once. And I had to take this back elevator, and I've done jury duty three or four times. I, I actually like it. I like to watch uh, justice at work, and uh, it's quite interesting. But I got on the elevator one day, and a man got on, and it was a, a judge, and he had his robe on. He walked in with a very serious look, and it was these two guards, these two police officers were next to him, a big Afro-American uh, gentleman, a big white gentleman, much bigger than I was, and they had their uniforms on, they had their guns, uh, they had their hands on their guns, and it was a very serious moment. And you can feel the tension, you can sense the authority that this man had that was given to him by the state. Uh, the two gentlemen that were with him, and you can sense their authority they had, in the, and, and uh, th- that was given to them by the state. Now, if I saw this man at the beach and he was wearing a bathing suit and flip-flops, I probably wouldn't give the guy the time of day. But that day in the courtroom, in his element, with those two guards next to him, he had all my attention. The atmosphere was primed with authority. You can sense it, you can feel it, and you can respect it. When man stands before Jesus Christ, he can wear flip-flops if he wants or anything. His authority doesn't come because man vested it into him. His authority comes from being who he is, God. And he will be the God-man that alone can look inside the heart of every human being and rightly judge every motive, every intention, every desire, every attitude, and every action, and every word that ever perceived out of a human being, Jesus Christ will judge. And he'll do it without any bias. He will look into the heart of every human being and show them what their life was all about. It will be totally judicial. Man will stand before God in absolute awe of his authority and his nature. Mankind will be totally out of his element. I can speak on this doctrine from a pulpit. I can encourage people in the street. And they can laugh and they can mock if they like. They can still cast stones at God because in this element they feel safe. But the day is going to come before the great tribunal of God where mankind will not be in his element but Jesus Christ will. And mankind will understand that Jesus Christ is Lord. And every knee shall bend and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Right now he's someone to be mocked and ridiculed if men don't bow to him. But the day will come when men will know, Satan will know, angel will know, humanity will know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And not their Savior at all. What will be judged... 1 Corinthians 4, 5. 
Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things that are now hidden in secret. Oh, I lost my son. Who will now bring to light the things that are hidden in darkness and disclose the purpose of the heart. Then each one will receive his condemnation from the Lord. Romans 2.16 says, On that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by the man, Jesus Christ. This examination will be searching. It will be thorough. It will be exacting. It will be overwhelmingly convincing. There is no circumstantial evidence at the final judgment. There's no appeals court. There's no probation. Christ, the discerner of hearts and motives and attitudes and passions, will, with the precision of a surgeon, he will show men their sins and the true nature of their existence. I want to ask you something. I want to ask Christian men and women now. Is it easy picking up the cross and following Christ? Isn't it challenging to be self-reflecting in our nature? Have you ever cried yourself to sleep over sins and weaknesses? Understand something. That's grace. Because God's going to show people one day and there's not going to be no opportunity for grace. He will show men exactly what they are and they'll be horrified to find out what their true spiritual nature is. As Christians, we know that. We know we're sinners, saved by sheer grace. And it's from that position that everything we do now is a good work in the eyes of God, because we do it unto the Lord. Listen to Hebrews 4. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of men's hearts. No creature is hidden from Christ's sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Christ the judge will take men apart inch by inch. Men will not stand before God and say, I was a president, or I was a governor, or I was a, a, a judge, or I was wealthy, or I was a, an entrepreneur, or I was, a, uh, I was generous. And men will have nothing to stand before God on that day and say anything. They'll stand there naked before him to whom they have to give an account as a mere mortal creature. Period. No accolades of men will go before them at all. There will be no advocate there for them to stand in their way as there is for us. They will understand for the first time, hand experience, face to face. They'll know they were only mortal creatures dependent on God's goodness to exist in the first place. This is the judgment. The only verdict that Christ can give and the saints can say amen to is guilty. At the end of this judgment, men will know they, what they, they get. 
they deserve. Forever the unsaved will know they are guilty of rebellion before God, but they'll always hate it. No one will cry out in hell or on a final judgment, I'm innocent. Every sinner will know they get what they deserve. When they see the holiness and the greatness of Jesus Christ, men will know they are getting what they deserve. They know they deserve eternal damnation. They will know it. They won't fight God. They will be fully compliant with the sentence. But they'll hate it forever. Hate it forever. This is the judgment. We'll speak more about the final judgment as it means to Christians next week and the week after that. We'll speak about heaven. We're going to speak about hell in the weeks to come. This judgment, this standing before Christ as believers, has nothing to do with salvation at all. Please understand that. As a believer, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ as we find out in 1 John 4, perfect love cast out all fear, because fear has to do with judgment, and there is no judgment on a Christian because it went on to Christ. This has nothing about fear. The one time it talks about Christians standing before the Lord on the judgment day, it has to do with rewards, not condemnation at all. But I ask a question, as a Christian, did it stir up a sense of fear within us? Is it due to a lack of understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is it a guilty conscience? What would stir up a Christian to be afraid to stand before God and to be examined? If we preach the gospel to ourselves every day, there is no fear. If we remind ourselves every day of what Christ has done and who we really are, guess what? When we came, we were what? Needy what? Sinners. Guess what you are still? You're needy. We're still needy. I'm not no less needy today than the first day I came to Christ. I'm still needy. I'm changed, yes, from the inside out. Bless God. But I am still in need of God's grace every day. Every day. That's all of us. This shit doesn't stir up fear. This is wonderful good news to stand before the Lord and say, God, thank you. For your grace in my life. Thank you for changing me. Thank you for your extraordinary patience with this slow to learn heart of mine, God. Thank you for never giving up. Thank you, oh God, that your grace was sufficient in me. Thank you, oh God. Thank you, oh God. That's what it is. We're not going to be sheepishly going to God and saying, oh God, I wish I would have did better. There's nothing to do with that. We'll speak more about it as the weeks go on. But I want Christians to know and understand something. This has nothing to do with our judgment. You want to know about your judgment? Look to the cross. That's what Good Friday was all about. Christ took our judgment. So then what is it? Believers rejoice over such knowledge. When all their cross-carrying, 
all their sanctification in witnessing and persecution and tears, every prayer meeting, every Bible study, every service, all they're given, all they're given of time, all they're given of energy, all they're given of the money, given of the whole life on that day will finally be vindicated and we will say, praise God, if I only known I would have gave you everything. If I only known I would have gave you anything. Why did I ever hold back one thing from you, oh God? That's how it will be for us. It'll be liberating. Extraordinary liberating for the believer. And then we'll hear, though we don't deserve, well done, good and faithful witness. And we'll receive some sort of undeserved reward uh, for being faithful to the end. And what does that mean, being faithful to the end? Come back next week and I'll tell you. I'm not going to let you know now. All right. Well, let's close with this. Ultimately, the last judgment is about God. In the last judgment, God, the righteous creator and sustainer of the universe, is vindicated as the only wise God. All the wrongs of the world will be made right. Justice is executed. And only the believer will have the privilege of seeing this scene. We'll see this. We'll see God exalted to the highest place. The 24 elders in Revelation 4 say it wonderfully. The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. That's what we're going to do. We're just going to worship God and honor God and push our crowns ahead of them because the 24 elders here understand they represent somebody. They represent us. They represent all believers from the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we're just going to push whatever we have and we give it to God and say, God, you deserve it all anyway. You deserve it all. This doctrine doesn't produce fear in a Christian. Understand something. Nor can it produce fear. This doctrine cannot produce fear in a Christian. It's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. Because according to 1 John 4, there is no fear in love. Perfect love has cast out all fear. Instead, it rightly grabs our attention and helps us overcome a basic human tendency. Negligence. Negligence. Of neglecting to live in the present in light of the future. And we're going to speak about this when you read 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 17, all the way to chapter 5. And we're going to speak more about the judgment. And we're going to speak more about a Christian's perspective on it, what it means to us. And how do we live in this world? It's all in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verses 17 through our chapter 5. It teaches us how we live as Christians with the full knowledge that all humanity will stand before Jesus Christ and give an account of their life. And that Christians will stand before Christ to give an account of their faithfulness to the stewardship of God's gift of grace in our life. So please, come back next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for every good and perfect gift, Father God. We thank you, Lord God, that... 
There is a day coming where you will vindicate yourself and you will vindicate all the righteous. You will vindicate Christ for dying on the cross for the sins of the world, Father God. When every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we thank you, Father God, that all our sufferings, all our persecution, all our prayers, all our tarrying with you now in this world as we are persecuted and we share in your sufferings, Father God. On that day, we will shout glory to God. We will thank you, O God, for all the light affliction we have suffered in this world on that day, Father God, when we see the awesomeness of Jesus Christ, Father God. When we stand before the heavenly tribunal with the 24 elders and the four living creatures facing us and we don't feel an ounce of condemnation, that we know that we are fully accepted in Jesus Christ, that we have fought part of the family, Father God, that we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ, Father God. We thank you for that glorious, glorious day that's coming, and it's coming soon, Father God. We rejoice in that day, in Jesus' name.